But what we really need to do is tell the college, hey, we want this because we actually need it. Hey, how is financial literacy tied to burnout? How to how do you risk mitigate your financial life through insurances, disability, etc. How to plan for retirement? Those were the topics, like very general, basic financial literacy topics. Couldn't get it in. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Okay, so welcome back to How Is My Financial Health Doc Podcast, and I am delighted to uh, speak to you guys again. Uh, some of you may wonder, hey, what happened to Vu? What happened to his podcast? We haven't heard any new material for a long time. Uh, don't worry, guys. I'm still alive. I'm still here. Uh, and I'm uh, doing more podcasts. Now, today, I have the pleasure of having a good friend of mine, Roger. Uh, Roger is a family doctor in the greater Toronto area, in the GTA. And today, I've asked Roger to come on the show and speak about Roger and his journey because Roger's journey is not very different from my journey. And in fact, Roger's journey is not very different from your journey. So we'll listen to Roger and see if you see some similarities. And also what I want you to, what you guys to listen to is what are the learning points that he has taken out of, of this particular journey of his. So Roger, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you, Vu. Thank you for having me tonight. I'm very happy to be here. I am. Uh, tell us a little bit more about about yourself. Uh, you're a family doctor. You practice in GTA, but you've done many more things. So tell us a little bit about that, just so that we set context. Okay, so I've been practicing uh, family practice uh, in Bonn for over 20 years. Uh, I did emergency medicine the first 10 years of my career, and but I've always uh, been interested in, in learning and doing things beyond. Uh, beyond medicine. So uh, in the past, I've set up my own golf course. Um, in the past, I've also got involved in politics uh, at the provincial and federal level. I also went into the Ontario Medical Association as an elected member of council. Um, and so I've done different things over the past few years. And uh, and so I really wanted to uh, speak tonight about my personal journey about the financial and investment aspect of, of my life. Yeah, no, your your journey is quite particular because when we we got connected on LinkedIn and uh, when we started to speak, I was really impressed by what you were doing already financially. And um, you were one of the very few physicians that were investing in options. Uh, and for those of you who like, oh, what what is an option? <laughs> uh, so some of us are still kind of figure out what is a stock, what is a bond. So option is fairly sophisticated type of investment vehicle. We're not going to talk about that today. What I really wanted to talk is that you've gone through a certain amount of, of your own learning and your own journey. So why don't you share a little bit of that with us today? Sure, sure. I'd love to. 
Um, so I, I think what uh, what really happened to me and what started me on my journey was actually the COVID crash. Um, up until that point, I, I had, like most of us, um, a portfolio manager with a, a bank, major bank, an investment advisor uh, that was looking after my portfolio. And uh, I, th I thought things were under control and everything was fine and I could just practice medicine and, and that would be it. But uh, around March of 2020, I believe, is when the COVID crash happened and that's when the market also went down. Uh, I remember being in Florida at that time, and I was uh, uh, just just having a nice vacation, sitting on the beach, talking to my accountant, looking out at the nice blue water, and talking to my financial advisor about putting some more money into my RSP. We soon came back to Canada, and after we came back in mid-March is when I think Canada uh, closed the border because of COVID, and the market started tanking. And the market started going down and down and down. And I can imagine, as most of us felt, who had a portfolio managed by a professional advisor and who had a buy and hold strategy, that you saw your equity and your portfolio market market go down. So mine went down. Uh, mine went down more, thirty to forty percent, and I could see my my future evaporating. And that's when I started to ask questions. I started to ask questions, and my journey began. I was shocked, I was disappointed, I was angry, I was frustrated. I couldn't understand how my own advisors who were professionals had let me down. I didn't understand, didn't they see this tsunami of a wave coming? How could they not? They had so much research. They had institutional research, investment, technology, experience, wisdom, networks, but still they couldn't predict this happening. And then what did they take? What steps did they take to mitigate this damage? What was their diversification? Well, they were diversified in the market, but what if the whole market goes down? Then where's their diversification? It doesn't help. And so that's when my, my questions and my studying started. So I started studying financial investments from scratch. I really didn't know much. I really didn't. Um, I started around 2020, March, April, working from home as most of us did at that time because of COVID. I started to invest my time and take the opportunity to look at online investment courses. These were paid courses, these were not free. I felt that something of value you really have to pay for. And so I learned. I learned about the stock market. I learned about fundamental analysis. I learned about technical analysis. I learned about reading stock charts. I learned about position trading. I learned about swing trading. I learned about day trading. I learned about the derivative market and options trading. I learned about the commodity market. And finally, I learned about the crypto market. Um, and I've learned about all of these things on my own time while I was still practicing medicine. So during the day I would practice and in the evening I would read and read and read and learn. And then finally, I met Vu, I think, as you mentioned, on LinkedIn. And then that was my opportunity to take my knowledge even further. You've you've read a lot of things. And, you know, there, uh, I, I have to tell the audience, um, over the last year, so 2022 and 2023, I've been doing evening webinars. So these are every second Mondays. Um, 
I do these webinars on very basic financial literacy. And then by the end of the conversation, we dive into fairly sophisticated type of financial literacy, but on different topics, right? And, and Roger, I think it was something like 15 or 16 topics. So, so Roger was, you know, a, a very, very persistent learner. Like he attended all of them. Um, and so Roger and I, we were, we've been speaking for now a year and something now. And, and because of the experience that he has and the learning that he has, and he shared with me and I shared with him. So um, I really love and enjoyed our discussion. What I really did not expect is Roger telling me his story, but he shared something with me that I hope you share with the audience now, because this is the, going to be the focus of our conversation today. Um, I think that what, what really got me, Vu, was as doctors, we think we practice and we work in our patient's best interest. We've all taken the Hippocratic Oath. And so we cannot think of a problem solution set without thinking, how does this benefit our patients the most? whether it's a medication, whether it's rehab, whether it's surgery, we don't think, how can we profit from this? We think, for the most part, what is the best outcome for our patients, our clients? This is the way we think. And what I realized in my journey, in my research, is that that's not a lot of how our professional advisors, for good or for bad, no judgment here, that's not necessarily the way they work. And then my further readings, understandings, I came to what was known as the suitability interest. So suitability interest is what our financial professionals mostly work on. They try and find a solution set that is good enough, but it may not be in our best interest. They, I found out that they, in general, work not in our best interest but on a different lower standard, a suitability interest. So one of the things as doctors that we should be aware of is that you have to be careful the advice that you get and you have to churn it and filter it and question it in your mind and not just slowly trust it as we do, as our patients trust us. I, I think this is a very important aspect of our financial learning. So I've done a few episodes that sort of discusses this concept. And the last episode was, are you dealing with a bike salesman or are you dealing with, you know, someone else or who are you dealing with? And that really comes to the concept of suitability. So in your, in your journey, uh, Roger, you mentioned financial advisors, you mentioned accountants. Do you have examples of, of each of them or one of them that says, you know what, the advice that I was given was probably not the best. It was, it was good enough, but not the best. Do you have examples of that in your own journey? Um, yes. I mean, uh, I'll give you an example. I have, uh, you know, I, my accountant's great. I, I love my accountant and uh, I think he's done a fantastic job on my portfolio, but one of the things I learned about from Vu and, and, and listening to his um, webinars, which I, I love, is about life insurance and, and specifically whole life insurance. 
Um, I found that it is actually a quite very good strategy um, for uh, tax efficiency and uh, reducing your capital gains tax if you have investment property. And But the problem is, is that my accountant doesn't really know much. And maybe I suspect a lot of accountants don't, maybe a lot of them do. But when I approached my accountant with this proposition of whole life insurance, he was more dismissive. He said that it was just, it was too much money. It wasn't worth it. You pay too much in premium and the sales agents get a huge commission. So you're better off not getting whole life. So this was one example where it might have been not in my might have been in my best interest to think about it at least, to not dismiss it. And so in that particular aspect, I think that uh, you know maybe the advice was not so good. What you're telling me is not uncommon. I hear this a lot. And in fact, I I I once you you know I'm a coach, right? I, I do financial coaching for for uh, physicians and other healthcare professionals and i once met a couple uh, and talking about you know financial planning and the whole thing and i mentioned about whole life insurance and their accountant was there the moment i mentioned whole life insurance without even knowing what i'm going to talk about his first words were don't buy whole life just buy terms now i get it there there's there's this whole controversial debate out there about term insurance versus whole life insurance. And I guess the audience for from listening to me all this time, you probably know that I love insurance, whether it's term or whole life. So there's indications for term and there are indications for whole life. But a lot of people out there and there's a, a school of thought that there is absolutely no indication for whole life. So when you think about that and you buy into that ideology or you buy into that dogma, the question is, the advice that you give, is it based on dogma? Is it based on ideology? Or is it really based on the person sitting in front of you? And if 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 I were to say, hey, just buy term, never buy whole life. Yeah, it's it's a good enough. It's a good enough advice. It, it really is because there's a school of thought that that will support your your thought on on whole life and term. So it is it is a good enough advice. But is it the best advice for Roger? Is it the best advice for Vu? And and Vu's circumstances are different from Roger, and, and Roger is younger than Vu, and Vu is younger than Julie, right? And so the question is, can you apply a blanket type of concept to the person in front of you? Now, as physicians, you and I will automatically say, no, that doesn't make sense, right? As great as a Pixaban is, <laughs> and as great as River Roxaban is, they're not for everyone. Some people still need warfarin, right? <laughs> and so at the end of the day, um, as great as one ideology is, it still doesn't apply to everybody. So we need to make sure that the concepts do apply to the person sitting in front of us. And unfortunately, not everybody do that. Now, you you mentioned something that in, in medicine and in nursing, in fact, in all healthcare, I would say in all healthcare, particularly in medicine, we subscribe by fiduciary duty. And what is fiduciary duty? Fiduciary duty is the act of doing the very best for our client or patient. Unfortunately, the, the standard of fiduciary duty is not in the financial industry. There's only a few 
professionals that have those fiduciary duty. And uh, we talked about that in my other podcast that we talked about, are you a bike salesman or not? And so when you, when you look at who are the professionals, the highest, highest professional with those fiduciary duty is in fact a portfolio manager. Those people have fiduciary duty. They have to behave and invest in the client's best interests. But we have to understand who's a portfolio manager because it's a it's a very specific professional term. A financial advisor sitting at a bank at a low-level managerial job or even level entry job does not have fiduciary duty. And so we have to be really careful in who we put our trust in. Um, do accountants have fiduciary duty? That's a that's a very interesting question. And, and I looked at the CPA website and it talks a lot about duty to clients and all that, but they actually don't say fiduciary duty. Uh, and so I, I always wonder if there's a Hippocratic oath equivalent in uh, accounting, in financial advice. Uh, if you work with certified financial planners, so the CFPs of the world, that designation is like an MD, like they actually have to follow a standard of fiduciary duty. But the point is this, the point is not everyone in the financial industry follows the same highest level of standard. One of the comments I've I've made in the past is, you know, uh, being educated yourself. You know, I always say this, that if you give control and you totally renege control, you you lose control, absolutely lose control. And so having basic financial literacy knowledge is absolutely crucial to your financial life, to your financial resiliency. And I dare to say to burnout. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think based on my own journey, um, not having my fingers on top of my investments is what led to more anxiety, more stress, more angst, especially when the markets went out of control. If I had some knowledge about it, I would have been better prepared. Just as we study medicine, we need to study basic financial um, metrics. We have to know uh, return on investment. We have to know uh, what 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 the rate of return is? We have to know what uh, assets we're invested in, how much we're diversified. Uh, we we have to know these things. It's not a question of maybe we could and we couldn't. I think we have to, uh, because our assets, besides our family, is the most important thing that we have. It's what we're going to use to retire. And if we allow somebody else, if we outsource that to somebody who does not have if I do see a relationship to us, we are subject to absolute devastation. And and I've seen that. I've seen that from many of my colleagues. I've I've had people email me uh, on my show. Uh, as you as you know, I have an email on this show, and also uh, as part of my you know coaching uh, business, I've got people emailing me and say, "Listen, I'm 65. I'm 70. I'm 69, and I have a horrible retirement plan." <laughs> And I can't retire. Can you give me some guidance? Like I I get those emails on a regular basis. 
at the end of the day, you know what? We're still physicians. You and I are still family doctors. You and I still have to care for patients. You and I still have to, you know, come home at night and read the New England. <laughs> okay, we have to do that. You know, to ask everybody to go out and learn about options is obviously not reasonable. We can't ask that of everyone. But what what do you think should be basic for us to at least understand? I agree with you. Like, if we don't have this basic financial knowledge and we delegate everything and whatever the accountant says, and I get this all the time, let me ask my accountant, let me ask my accountant. But if your accountant doesn't have fiduciary duty towards you, the advice is at best suitable. But also, the accountant is not responsible for your financial future. I've learned that the hard way. I've learned that the hard way, that the accountant is actually not responsible for your financial future. Your accountant looks backwards. If I have to fire my taxes for last year, my accountant will be my best partner in figuring out how much I have to pay, how to minimize my tax for last year. But if I ask my accountant to look forward 10, 15, 20, 30 years ahead, that's not what they do. And I've been told that so many times, so many times I've been told that's not what accountants do. And I've always thought as naive as I was, and I'm no longer that naive, but I always thought that the accountant was the person that's going to direct me and navigate with me 20, 30 years down the road. And I've been told it is not their job. My expectations from them is too high. But yet I hear this all the time. Let me my let me ask my accountant. And I learned the hard way that it is not their job. If it is not their job, whose job is it to look at our financial future? It is us. It is our job. The same way I tell my patients, hey, Bob, your blood pressure is high. Your cholesterol is high. Your A1C is high. You're obese. I'm going to give you pill A, pill B, pill C. But if you don't put those pills in your mouth and you don't exercise and you don't lose the weight, it doesn't matter what pills I throw at you. You're still going to have your heart attack. And so same thing with us. If we actually don't take control and we actually don't learn the basics and we actually don't pass first pass <laughs> in medicine and pharmacology and pharmacodynamics, we talk about first pass into the liver. Here for me, the first pass is through our brain. Whatever the accountant says, whatever the financial advisor at the bank tells us, we have to pass it through our brain first and make sure that we actually filter and, criti and critically evaluate it. If we if we say all the time, I'm gonna, my accountant's taking care of it. My financial advisor at the bank is taking care of it. Not realizing that they don't have fiduciary duty, then we run into trouble. So we have to first pass it through our brain once, at least once. And how do you create that filter? You create that filter by properly educating yourself. And again, you and I have to read the New England and have to read a whole bunch of articles. So we're not going to become financial experts. But what we should do is at least have financial basic literacy. I'd like to add one thing, Vu, uh, to your comment is, is, I mean, a lot of those doctors are thinking, well, uh, we can get some knowledge, we can start to learn a little bit, but we're never going to be the experts. We're not going to know everything. And we don't have the time to learn everything. 
So if we can't go to our accountant, if we can't go to um, our investment advisor who works in a bank, where can we go to get objective, unbiased fiduciary advice? And in my experience, as you've told me, it's a paid fee-for-service certified financial planner. Start there. At least start there. My thoughts about fee-only financial planner versus fee-based versus commission-based, different different levels of conflict of interest and different levels of fiduciary duty. That being said, even the certified financial planner who works on commission as well also has fiduciary duty. That's part of their designation. That's part of their model. Now, they, do they have conflict of interest? Of course. Will they declare it? They should. To your point, if you want to avoid all perception of conflict of interest, then starting with a financial planner who is fee-based is absolutely the way to start. Um, and so what, what you're saying to me, Roger, is not that I have a bad accountant. No, I have a good accountant. But the accountant doesn't do what I thought he or she should do. And it's not their fault. That's not how they're trained. If that's not how they're trained, I should not expect them to do that. So if I should not expect them to do that, I should not always say, I'm going to ask my accountant because I'm going down the wrong path. What I should say is, I should ask my accountant. I should also ask my financial planner. And I should also maybe ask my lawyer because... Who are the people that should be part of our financial team? It should be the accountant. It should be the lawyer. It should be the financial planner. And it should also be the investment person. A lot of us operate on one person, the accountant, or we operate on one person, the financial advisor. The matter is, the truth is that we should operate on a team because like you say, we're busy enough. I don't have all the time to study all these things. I've done it. I've done it for eight years. Trust me, it took me a lot of time. But not everybody wants to do this. I recognize that. So we must have a team. And we must have a team that has fiduciary duty towards us. agree with that. Uh, I agree that uh, nobody is saying here that our accountants are are, are bad. We we like our accountants. We, we have a relationship with them. And, but we have to know what the limitations are. Just as, um, you know, there are specialists and doctors. So when a patient comes to us for certain problems that they know how much we can help them and when we have to uh, let them uh, refer them to another specialist because they have another area of specialty. So I think our team each has its own strengths and weaknesses. And so, uh, as you said, we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket. It shouldn't be all of the accountant or all of the financial advisor we should have a certified financial planner who would be, I think you've mentioned this, uh, Vu, sort of like the family doctor, the uh, the general practitioner of finance. Absolutely. So sort of put it all together. Look at everybody's specialty, look at their strengths, and then make a composite plan going forward. That's in the best interest of their client. Absolutely. I think that's a good analogy. The financial planner is the person that is the quarterback the navigator, the family doctor of your finance, of your financial wealth and your financial health. Absolutely. So you asked me before, you know, if we don't have the time uh, and to read all these books, where should we go? What should we do? 
what what are some of the resources you know to be to be honest um not not everybody wants to spend 8 years reading financial books <laughs> and 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 taking financial courses i would suggest a few books that people should read to start their journey and trust me i don't make any money off these books i wish i did but i don't i don't get any royalty the first book that i would recommend people reading is rich dad poor dad by robert kiyosaki this book is a very popular book it's a number one seller when it first came out and it's an amazing book because it flips your financial world upside down what everything that you thought you knew about personal finance is going to flip it upside down but it flips it upside down and it's actually logical when you read through the book so that's the first book i would absolutely recommend it's yeah i'm $20 i think it's going to be the best $20 you'll ever spend in your life the second book is from a canadian author uh called larry bates again i don't make any money i don't make any royalty but you've probably heard of larry bates in my very very first few podcasts and he's the gentleman who wrote the book beat the bank and he, his book was revolutionary because I believe that his book started the entire DIY movement in Canada. Uh, and his book is about, you know, high mutual uh, fund fees, high MERs, and and going behind the scenes of the banks and how they take money and how they how the fees destroy your, your wealth over time. So it's a very, very good book. It's a really eye-opener. The third book that I've never talked about, really, I don't think I've ever talked about but I think it's a must read. It's a book called Your Life or Your Money by Vicky Robbins. Your Life or Your Money. Or is it Your Money or Your Life? One of those. And it really speaks about life energy and how we physicians and anybody who's self-employed who in the service industry, we exchange our life energy for a paycheck and how we should be careful with how we spend our life energy and how we make money. These books will, you know, intuitively push you to say, hmm, you know what? I probably should read the fourth and the fifth book. <laughs> I probably should understand this a little bit more. And then, you know, if you think about, you know, I drive a long time. I'm coming from work and back and forth. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Obviously, I think this is the best podcast on financial literacy for physicians. Do you agree, Roger? I think this is the best, po the best podcast. But, yes, I agree. Yes, <laughs> you agree. Okay, I'll <laughs> give you 20 bucks later, Roger. Try, <laughs> remind me. But the other really good podcast is from uh, Yatin Chada. You can also find him uh, on any, you know, great podcast platform. And then you've got a podcast from the Physician Empowerment Group, right? These are, these are guys from Alberta. So all three of us, all three podcasts are Canadian content. Uh, but I would I would say that there's a lot of good American content too. Um, so a good American podcast. There's only one caveat that I would that would say, actually two caveats about the American contents for physicians is that it is an American content. So a lot of the things they say don't apply to us because they have very different tax laws. They have very different laws for real estate. They have very different laws for insurance. They have very different laws for investment. So Anything that has to do with that, I take it with a grain of salt. 
but otherwise general principles, I think they're all applicable to everyone across the world. And the second, the second caveat is if you're going to listen to, you know, the, the gurus in the U.S., just be careful to know who they are talking to. These American gurus who talk to 2 million, 10 million, 30 million Americans, well, they're not talking about you and I. We're not the same as the 20, 30 million Americans who are going bankrupt and who are working day to day for $30,000 a year. Those are, that's not who we are. And so if you're going to listen to those type of advice, you just have to be really, really careful to make sure that it actually is applicable to you. And so there are a lot of learning opportunities. And, and I think that there's, there are opportunities for us to learn more about personal finance in, in, in healthcare. I'm going to get some of these books uh, that you mentioned, uh, Vu. Uh, I don't think I've read the Rich Dad or Dad one. That sounds pretty good. I think I've read the Beat the Bank. I'm sorry to read that one. Yeah. But I, I think that the process, uh, I think the podcast would be a great way because we spend so much time in our cars that uh, and then once we get home, we get bombarded with home responsibilities and other things. If we have family, if we have kids, uh, that the podcast is a great way that you can just uh, cocoon yourself on your way home or, or to work and you can get some good information quickly. And uh, I, I think that uh, it, this is this is a doable plan. Slowly, you can develop your knowledge base and you can start to grow. Yeah. And it, it just starts with the first podcast. You know, and at the end of the day, guys, you don't have to drink the entire ocean. Okay. That, that's not the goal. The goal is not to drink the entire ocean. The goal is to get enough knowledge so that you can filter first pass <laughs> on any advice that anybody gives you. And, and do some critical thinking. Because the, the most common thing I see is, well, I'm going to ask my accountant and leave it at that. Whatever my accountant says goes. Or I'm going to ask my financial advisor or my investment advisor. And whatever they say goes. And we don't even think twice about it. That's what I would like people to avoid. And that, and that comes to come back to your journey. Your journey was a journey of learning as well. And you said something that really rings true really, really rings true. Anything that is worth learning, you have to pay for it if you see the value. It's not about the cost. It's about the value. That is important. I agree completely. And and I would really strongly recommend uh, all the doctors here to watch uh, Vu's uh, webinars. He's starting up the series again, I think sometime this summer, Vu. But uh, I, I glean so much information on that. And uh, you know, the, the cost was negligible, honestly, I have to say. And I think you have to have some skin in the game before you you really achieve, understand that it is of value to you. And uh, I highly, highly recommend it. Thank you very much for that pitch, uh, Roger. It gets like I have to owe you 40 bucks now, huh? <laughs> Make it 60. <laughs> Coming your way right away. So, Roger, uh, if, if there's a final message that you have for our audience, uh, now that you've gone through your own journey, what, what would be that message? Well, I, I would say that it's never too late to start your journey. That uh, no matter what age you are, I think you should start it. Um, it's, it's always good to acquire knowledge. You can learn something at any stage of your, uh, your, your life cycle. And uh, the, the, the first part is always the first step. Uh, and it's it's always a good idea to make that first step. Thank you. 
it's never too late to learn. And like, like both for both you and I, Roger, we would learn at a very late stage. Thank you very much, Roger, for coming on to the show and sharing your story with us. Thank you so much, Fu, for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, I hope that uh, the audience enjoyed uh, Roger's story. I am almost certain that your story and your journey is very similar to Roger's uh, and to mine. Uh, we are sort of molded by the same mode through um, university and medical school. So I hope that you have been able to take some golden nuggets back with you and maybe reflect on it and see what the next chapter in your journey will be. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends, your colleagues, and your pet turtle or pet cat. And if you have any comments or feedback, please email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. And looking forward to uh, seeing you guys next time. How is my financial health doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.